Aeon. And I'm the Lioness. And you're listening to Box Number 512 Podcast. Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. Changing your world one conversation at a time. The show begins now. If you would like to see this episode along with other exclusive content, make sure you become a patron by going to our Box Number 512 podcast Patreon page where you can become a patron for as little as $5 a month. The link to the page is in the show notes for the show. So make sure you go on over there if you would like to see the episode in addition to listening to it. All right, y'all. Back to the show. Welcome to another installment of Box Number Five Soul Podcast, Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. I am your co-host, Aeon. And I'm the Lioness. So before we get into updates, just want to remind you for our listeners old and new, if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you go on Apple Podcasts, review us, rate us, give us five stars, tell us how you feel about the episodes and um, the podcast overall. Um, Those reviews help other people to find our podcast when they're looking for podcasts about Blackness and about transness and about grownness and all of those things. Also, we just did an episode that's been our fastest watched episode ever. And there have been a lot of support, but there has also been a lot of differing opinions. If you would like to write into sh- to the show to tell us how you feel about that episode, the notorious J-A-N-E-T, or any other episodes that you've heard and you want to sound off and tell us whether you agree with us or whether you disagree or you just want to write a letter into the editor, you can send those emails to us at box number five so podcast at gmail.com that's b-o-x-n-o-512 p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com make sure you send in those letters this is not a one-way conversation we want to interact with y'all we want to hear what y'all have to say the door the door is open and who knows we might read one of your letters on the show about that episode or any of our 56 episodes that we have done so come on y'all thank y'all for the support but i just wanted to get that out of the way before we got into update so sis um update us what's been going on nothing girl nothing girl well first i want to know can you still see me because i'm yeah y'all okay so living loving and laughing you know trying to you know keep my head positive um i know that we've recently had some losses um this week um a couple of major losses in community and that's really really a um affected me to a certain extent as it always does when we lose sisters, particularly those that have dedicated their lives to service. Um, So I was dealing with that a little this week. I was also, I've been in conversation um, just with a a number of girls in community about the need for us to come together again. I feel like because of COVID, a lot of us have not really been able to come together and like group meetings kind of stopped in a lot of places. A lot of the like tangible community love that we once were able to get. I feel like that stuff has been kind of cut back and I'm glad that people are getting their shots and the world is reopening. But along with that, it's just, you know, just making sure that 
we are intentional on reconnecting because there's so many relationships that like I make because on the computer, you know, we always lose context, right? Like we always is nothing is ever the as clear as it could be. And I feel like a lot of relationships with people that I think if I feel like a lot of the problems online, if we were still able, we were able to come together and break bread and have some of the like tangible hands-on conversations that we used to have. I feel like some of this beef wouldn't be that way, but we're getting increasingly disconnected from the closeness of what it's like to be around your girls. So just kind of processing that as well. Um, other than that, my life is great. I don't have any complaints. I'm excited about this episode though. What about you, sis? Um, before I get my updates and you brought it up, we have to say, uh, rest in peace, rest in power, rest in paradise to our sister, um, Jahira D'Alto, aka Jahira Balenciaga. Um, she was taken from us over the weekend, um, in an act of violence. Um, she is somebody that I, I knew not only from the ballroom scene, but I knew her back in my previous life when I was a YouTuber. And she also had a YouTube channel and um, we connected through there and I met her in person. Um, just a sweet, sweet, sweet woman, um, definitely for um, community, definitely for standing up, being a voice and being a light, a light. And it's just so shocking that somebody so um, sweet and so pure was taken from us in that way. So I just want to send my condolences to her blood family some of my condolences to her ballroom family, the House of Balenciaga, and um, anybody that has been touched by her life. Um, I, it's, it's just a big loss. She's only 43 years old, so young, um, so much more she had to do. And um, it's just really a big loss. And I know today is Monica Roberts' birthday. So happy heavenly birthday to Monica Roberts. We miss you. It's still, it, do, it doesn't feel like you've been gone, but like the the void is just so great and um nice. nobody can do what you did or you know be who you were and we miss you so much and um so yeah i just wanted to um lift their names up and bring them into this and anybody uh, uh, any of our trans sisters and trans brothers and trans non-binary siblings that we have lost to violence over and i know we don't talk about it all the time because we on the show we just try to create a space where we don't have to think about that the lioness and I are very conscious of what's going on in the world. We're very, uh, have our feet to the ground in community, but um, every now and then we just have to come and um, give um, remembrance to those that we lost and those that we hold in our hearts. And uh, we re we're gonna miss them, we're gonna miss them, uh, but we're also not gonna forget them. Um, updates with me, work is going great. I don't think I talked about this on the last episode, but. Um, Y'all know my position is only a year-long position. I actually just had a review like a couple weeks ago, and I did really, really well on my um, performance review. And a new position position is opening up at my job. And um, I wasn't going to apply at first because it was one of those situations where I, I'm trying to talk myself out of the position because I don't feel like I was qualified, but then my supervisor took me to the side and I was like, I think you should really apply. And, um, you know, I just think that you would be good for this job. 
So um, congratulations! You know, that, that's on the horizon. He um, so I, I haven't applied yet, but um, he showed me the the job announcements before they put it out to the public. But he still wants me to apply. That's always um, good when you're being told to apply. You know, that's right? In advance, so that well, is an opportunity. Well, hopefully, if I go far in the process, the money will be right. Um, but also, um, since last week, I've had two interviews for um, two other positions. One here in the D.C. area, another back in Chicago. Um, I felt like the interviews went good. Um, I felt like I felt comfortable. I felt like I was able to be myself. And those are the type of interviews that I like where I'm just able to talk and just be in um, conversation and be confident. Um, I will be in Atlanta this weekend. I'm Um, excited. Yeah, starting the, it it won't be off of play. I'm starting the first phase of really, um, getting my body work done. And the first part of that is getting my body laser. It's time. I need to touch up my face a little bit and then just focus on the rest of my body because y'all girls know I want to get like some body work done legally. I'm going to get a BBL and I just want to make sure that when I'm snatched, I'm also smooth in all the right places. So, um, I'm going well, to really break. Fast, girl, since you mentioned it, can I give a drop to the, to my, to our, our, um, 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 esthetician that does our, our, our um, hair removal. So shout out mm-hmm. to, shout out to Ray Fair of Fair Skin Spa here in Atlanta, Georgia in Buckhead. We love you. We love you. We love you. And he is a wonderful practitioner that has, has years of experience, particularly dealing with goyles like us, particularly those of us melanated. And he does full body, um, laser removal, a bunch of myriad of other service, including microdermabrasion and other stuff. But I just wanted to give him a shout out. I always said that I was gonna because you know he keeps me loud. Yeah I'm like I'm actually I, I had my one session on one day but I actually booked a session like right after I get off the plane to go and get like my facial and my microdermal because now I'm at that point where I'm ready to just take care and pamper myself and keep myself up. Part of that has been my workout journey and my um eating journey just eating different eating better and the other part is just my beauty just staying up on my beauty my facials my laser i'm getting my body work done. like i'm about to be really vain well not in a bad way but it's just like I, I i deserve to look nice i'm in a great place in my life and i just want to splurge on myself a little bit but yeah i'll be in atlanta um me, myself, and the lioness and her husband, we're going to go to dinner on Sunday night. And I just, I want to go somewhere like really nice. Cause I don't think we've ever all been out to dinner before. I think you've cooked at the house and all of that, but you know, I just want to go out somewhere nice and just key and just eat some good food and enjoy, enjoy these covers company. Maybe we can have a view from the skyline. Um, I, I have a couple of ideas. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. between you and especially TA or something will be planned. So I, you know, I look for. I just want to. I just want to show up, and you know, and okay, you know, girl. I'm with it. But um, yeah, I'll be in Atlanta this weekend, and then the following weekend, I'll be in New Orleans. Me and my um sister from Baltimore, we're doing a sister trip, and you know, I'm out there. You know, I'm I'm fully vaccinated, honey, and I'm ready to live life. So. Come on, fully vaccinated, as am I, as am I. Right. Yeah. SWV, sisters with the vaccines. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's all that's going, um, going on with me. Um, thank you all for supporting the Patreon. I will read the list of our patrons, but I'm going to wait to the next episode to read our patrons for May. Um, also, 
start either starting this week or next week, we're going to be doing um, dropping our polls reviews, but those will only be uploaded to our Patreon for our level three patrons, which is $10 a month. Um, so make sure you go on over to our Patreon now and you see our bonus uh, material. We don't have the polls reviews yet, but we have other bonus videos that we've been uploading since January. But the polls reviews will be coming out. I saw the um, first two episodes of Pose, I lived, I'm not going to tell you exactly how I feel because that's what the review is for. So <laughs> make sure y'all go on over to our Patreon page and join the wave. I mean. And we have so much more content and, and live shows, monthly live shows that we'll be doing on our Patreon page that she needs to be a patron to, patron to see. But we will roll out the details of that in the coming weeks. So... Let's get to our, let's get to our main topic today. So, in the spirit of having phenomenal guests come into the show and bringing them into the circle and just having grown grown titty woman conversation, yeah. I want I want to bring on our sister Dominique Morgan before she comes on. Um, she is the executive director of Black and Pink, an organization that is doing some amazing work for our LGBTQ brothers and sisters that are um, experiencing, are or have experienced incarceration. Um, so forgot, um, forgotten about community. So oh, such a community that is overlooked. And it's so great that one of us is at the helm of this organization doing this type of work, um, really um, providing liberations for our brothers and sisters who know shade. They, especially in the trans rights movements, our brothers and sisters that interface with the prison industrial complex, they're the real reasons why we get a lot of the rights that we get for those of us who are on the outside. And a lot of them don't get um, the credit that they deserve. And we don't, we, we, try, we try so hard to be respectable that we wanna, we don't wanna focus on that part of the community, but we got to, um, we got to. But in addition to leading Black and Pink, she is a sex educator. She is a music artist. And she is just uh, overall a, a beautiful woman um, who is sharing her journey with us, her um, her glow up with us on social media. Um, that's how we connected. And I'm just happy to have her on um, the box so we could just engage in conversation. She can share with us a little bit about her journey and we can just figure out what different projects she has going on and just what nuggets of advice that she has for the audience and us here, um, the lioness and myself. So without further ado, Miss Dominique, come on. Hi. Hi. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What's up? We are so excited to have you on today. I am. Well, first, let's do a mood check. How are you feeling? I know that there's a lot going on in the world today. We wanted to do one with you. How are you, madam? You know, I'm a Pisces. And we feel everything. Um, and so I think there's, my answer is always, I think community, we're feeling um, just the tension. And I think a lot of people are feeling like we want to move fast, but we possibly aren't ready to move fast, but they're not going to let us not move fast. So I'm feeling a lot of that. And um, just in my own body, I just have a lot of work coming up. So it's just, you know, you feel like there's not enough hours in the day. 
and you are uh, you're trying to figure out how you can maintain your own self care. Um, how you can chase the bag, but not have the bag chasing you. Mm -hmm. um, all of those sort of things right now. But um, overall, just really, you know, really just blessed to be in a space where these type of things are happening and, and trying to embrace it while still holding on to myself. Embracing it while still holding on to yourself. Very powerful. So speak in the spirit of embracing, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do in your nonprofit work? And I'd also love to know what made you specifically zero in on such a necessary and vital um, support system for the community, which is helping those people that are in incarceration. Well, Black and Pink is the largest prison abolitionist organization in the United States. Um, and there are people who um, kind of balk when I say that, and I want to say that um, there was research and there were facts positioned to that. And based on our budget, based on, um, I have about 23 staff members across the country, um, 13 or 14 chapters across the United States, and over 20,000 incarcerated people in our Black and Pink database who who depend on us to show up for them. Um, and so Black and Pink will, is turning 16 this month, um, 16 years of Black and Pink doing incredible work. It was founded in 2005 by Jason Lydon in Boston, Massachusetts. And Black and Pink's earliest iteration really looked at solidarity efforts on that base level, right? Writing people, um, making sure that we're giving information to folks on the inside. One of the, going back to slavery, right? One of the ways that they um, positioned themselves to oppress us was to keep us away from information, whether they didn't want us to learn how to read or whether they were trying to block the information to come to us. The prisons, the prison industrial complex still does that, right? We we as a community are mourning the losses that have happened, but imagine if you're a trans person who's incarcerated and you don't find out about this till three months from now. Mm. Right? And so there's there's grief and then there's the, the blessing of experience collective grief, you're not by yourself. Incarceration is, is, is really predicated on this individual experience around harm, right? Um, and so that was black and pink for many years, like really taking it to the streets um, I am not a take it to the streets girl. And, I, and when I say that, I mean, I'm born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. I, I did not grow up really understanding and being immersed in what I, what I now believe is the power of blackness, the history of black revolutionaries, whether it's whether whether gay, trans, straight, trans, anything in the spectrum, right? Nebraska was like Malcolm. I mean, was Martin Luther King. The irony is that Omaha is the birthplace of Malcolm X. I didn't grow up hearing about Malcolm X, right? Um, and so when I was positioned to join Black and Pink in 2017, um, I joined as a board member. Um, I was a member of the board because. Honestly, I was maybe two years into my job at the at um, working at the clinic, and I love comprehensive sex education. I I saw so much power with system impacted people having access to comprehensive sex education, and it was um, I don't know if you all have ever had times where you're just like you know what I'm doing something no one's ever done before, and I'm seeing the impact of it in real time. Um, and that, and I was blessed to have that in that role. Now, some people will, you know, you'll, you'll know you're doing innovative stuff 
but to be like, girl, I may see it 10 years, 20 years from now. And so um, you got to give yourself that pep talk to go to work every day. Uh, that work for me was I, I could see it in real time that a young person would tell me, well, if I had sex and I um, and I had a sh hot shower that I would not get pregnant, that I could offer factual information. And in real time, I was seeing young black folks have information that positioned them to have power and autonomy over their bodies. Um, I also believed the falsity that you have to be a professional for so long to be in certain positions. I'm like, I've been here for two years. What do you mean, executive director? No, thank you. Um, so I joined the board, ended up being the president of the board. I tell folks all the time, read the rules and bylaws. Brianna is, is, is a legal eagle. Um, you know, I, I'm gonna just sign it and you know, come back and look at it later. If I had read it, I would have known that if uh, the president of the board, if there is not an executive director, the president of the board becomes the interim executive director of Black and Pink. So about four months after I thought I said no and ran away from this job, I was the interim ED. And 30 days later, I was hired as the um, permanent executive director. About 90 days later, I closed the offices in Boston and moved the national offices to Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and, 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 and being in the work initially was the excitement of, there are people who advocate for people who are in prison. There are people who care about incarcerated queer and trans people. No, that can't be. Um, I, I navigated, I, I went into the youth system. I was about 12 from the age of 12 to 17, um, in and out of group homes and foster care and, 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 and harmful relationships about a year of um, homelessness um, and survival sex work and doing whatever I had to do to eat and make it, which is not a, um, I'm not, that's not a singular story, right? That's, that's something that we know many of our siblings um, have and are experiencing. Um, and then, and then was in, incarcerated into the adult system from the age of 18 to 27. So I came home from prison February 16, 2009. I was 27 years old. I turned 39 in March. So um, I, I was just excited about learning about how to beat a system on what I thought would be a micro level. Three years later, what I've recognized is that the work of Black and Pink isn't just cradled to prison abolition. And so when you hear us talk, when I talk, we, we, about, we want to abolish all systems of oppression. Um, because what I, I ask everyone all the time, especially the white folks that get so excited about abolition and they want to tell me what, you know, what is and what isn't. I say, well, if I close all the prison, all the jails, all the detention centers today, where am I going to house them? Where's the medication at for any of their needs? Where are the doctors at? Right. Who, how, how am I going to feed them? The service, the, 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 the systems that are that were in place that positioned these folks to be system impacted have not been eradicated. So focusing on incarceration solely is not enough. Um, I think talking about prison and incarceration is important because we don't want people to take the work we do like, lightly. We don't want people to commodify us to a safe space by any means. But on the other hand, it allows me to challenge people and say, it's not just prison and jails. These people were these people were oppressed and system impacted people, many of them at birth or many of them predicated on the zip code they were born into. And until we address those issues, prisons and jails will always thrive. Right. And so at Black and Pink, in my tenure as ED, 
I've tried to build an ecosystem where we found incredible partners. I've been ex excited to engage with them. You know, um, House of Tulip, um, uh, the Transgender District. Um, th th there's been some many incredible organizations where we've we've done warm handoffs. Girl, you got this. We'll take this part. Um, that's happened, and it's been um, you know uh, Kayla with 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 my sister's house. Like, there's been great engagement, but I did not want to have to bank on finding people who would see the folks that I'm engaging in servant leadership to as the same brilliant, powerful, incredible people that I saw them as. I, I did not feel comfortable doing warm handoffs to spaces that I knew would be unsafe for my people. So, um, and doing that in that mission, it felt like we had authentic evolution, um, right? It, it didn't feel like it was a pivot or that black and pink change, black and pink evolved. You know, no one is going to be the same thing 16 years later. You hope you become bigger. You hope that you become brighter. You hope that you are touching whatever version of your best self that looks like. And I believed as much as we showed up for our folks inside, we need to have things available when they came home. Mm. And so that's why we built the Light and House housing process, um, our Youth Opportunity Campus project that's happening, um, our, our, our trans wellness program, hiring therapists on staff that can support our people at no cost through telehealth, all of these, all of these pieces that now are like, listen, black and pink is kind of a one-stop shop. Yes, that is stressful. Yes, that is scary some days. But I really enjoy sleeping at night knowing that if my people can access my team, whether it's programs, whether you whether you happen to link up with Jasmine Tasaki while she has on her We Care hat, but she's my director of advocacy, you'll find your way into our arms. And then there's the programmatic support, but above all, there's a community piece, and that's and that's what's most important. Why a world of of a world with systems of oppression abolished are wonderful, but a world where these systems are gone and community is strong and healthy is 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 wonderful. And so I believe we can partner those. I believe we're building initiatives that get us there, um, and that's the very long but slightly Cliff Notes version of Black and Pink. How I got to Black and Pink, and 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 just really how I see my my role here in my time as 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 a leader, while also actively deciding when is it time for me to get out of the way, and how am I making mm. that I'm building something that the next person can come into, and 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 just run with it and do something amazing with that as well. I love that you said that because I feel like, especially in our community, especially with Black trans women, I feel like what I was taught is that the mark of a true leader is not just you leading in the things that you can do during your tenure, but is who are you raising up to come take your place once it's time for you to step down? Because you can't do it forever. You just can't, can't do it forever. What I've learned is, and I'm blessed that I, I get to wear a couple of hats as an ED, but I bust my butt at it. I have no partner that depends on me. I have no children, right? I, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm able to go, go, go. And I share that because m most EDs will can only have the capacity to be an ED. Mm -hmm. 
So not only do I want to get out of the way for the, the experience and opportunity for whoever else comes into this role, I want to get out of the way so Black and Pink can evolve with new eyes and new voice. I can only innovate so far with what I have, right? I can only do so much. There's, you know, you ever look at um, you look at a hairstyle and you think, you know what, I'll do this with that. And then there's another set of eyes that comes and does something you would never do to it. That perspective is important. So for the evolution of our work, and last but not least, for the evolution and and, and safety and care of me, I will, right. not, I will not be spending my entire life working tirelessly to undo the issues that white people created. And, and so I've, I've made a decision about how I want to engage. I actively think about what are the initiatives I want to bring to fruition, because what you see in a lot of queer organizations is that EDs will be there 20 years. Mm. Like you'll be like, well, what, like, what's the thing? Like, why are you still here? Not no shade, but like, what's, 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 what has you plugged in? What are you doing that only you can do? That means you should be here to lead it. And, and, and it's no longer that work. You're just there. And so, but also those are mostly white folks, cisgender folks, who happen to be queer and, and on the queer spectrum that, you know, they'll let them come to work and then take a three month sabbatical, sabbatical and all that stuff. I'm fighting every day to not only be funded, but for us to grow. And so um, my body and my mind and my spirit deserve to know when a break is happening and know that a, a time is coming when I'm just going to be able to just do me and be on a beat somewhere with, with somebody fanning me with a banana leaf, somebody's son fanning me with a banana leaf. Right. And just, you know, just hanging out. And so the, all of those reasons and more, it's important to get out of the way and 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 not drink your own Kool-Aid to think that you're the only person with answers. You have a answer. To that point about, I'm sorry, to, that point, to that point about um, getting out of the way and allowing progress. But I, I loved how you also talked about how in a lot of these situations, particularly in this nonprofit industrial complex we're in today, it, it still is largely a paradigm where you have, the community, the folk, right, who who are supposed to be um, getting, who who they were thought of to get the service, mm -hmm. having to step into leadership, and then in our rise to leadership, we hit this wall because we get we we collected this money to help you, not for you to lead. Mm -hmm. And I find that that dynamic is very interesting, particularly in the nonprofit world. And so I'm always extremely excited to see a a, a trans person, but particularly a sister step into that leadership role. And so I want to talk a little bit about now your employment, like your journey to being executive director, because I can imagine a world where a girl will hear this story and it will touch her in her heart because you talked very, very openly and honestly about a very common trans experience, but particularly your story about you coming through the system yourself and learning how to be that concrete roles to push through. I would love to know how you came from the moment of, okay, I'm in the system and I made the decision to want to do this work. And then what was that like? Like, how did you engage the nonprofit community? What was your career like that got you to this wonderful ED level? I'm, my mother, Colleen, rest her soul, was notorious for telling me, you know, I was a cat. I was like a cat because I always had nine lives. Child, you always land on your feet. No matter what you do, you always make it out somehow. And that's that's true in a way for me. I know that, but also like for some reason, spirit and opportunity have always come together. And I think that when I was younger, I fought it or I was not in tune to who I was and what was meant for me to be able to hear it. 
um, right? We think signs are always loud moments, right? Um, it, it's a whisper. It's it's the wind blowing a certain way. It's it, it's it's I that's those are my beliefs. And so um, when I look back at my my lived experience before two thousand and nine, I think outside of the systems of oppression that we're trying to intersect around my body, mind, and spirit. I was fighting what the universe had in store for me because I didn't recognize it. I didn't see it. Right. And so um, when I was in prison, I, right when I went into prison, they took out all of the college programs. So I graduated high school in May of 2000. I was in county jail facing over 30 years in prison in August. Um, and, and, and I was sentenced to eight to 16 years. Right. I go into the system identifying as a cisgender male because again, Nebraska, I didn't know what, I didn't, I had never heard of the term transgender. Um, I had, you know, seen Sally Jesse Raphael and things like that when I was younger. Um, but I, I, I had no understanding of the power and the expansiveness of gender, right? Um, I thought there were gay people and straight people. I felt this way. So that meant that I was gay. like, there was nothing to process through. But, and however, I was 18. I've always had this booty I have. I have always been shaped this way. Um, a lot of like, like people, you know, somebody, somebody's like, oh girl, you only been on moans for a year. They really work. And I'm like, that booty always been on dude. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, girl, do not be tricked. Like, please do not. Do not put your experience beside mine because some of these things were just are not here. typical. <laughs> and some of these things were just here, right? But I'm 18. I'm going into this system. I have this, I have 16 years to do, right? Um, a body that looks a certain way, but still identifying as gay. And so you're going into this system and you're just like, I'm watching everyone around me. And the queer experience is not based in any sort of nuance. From my experience, the queer experience inside wasn't based in nuance. It was like, okay, there are boys and there's the girls. And it was a shock to me at first because I was like, well, girls, I don't, I don't know about, what you mean. And um, I'll never forget, it was a, it was a, it was a old, it was an older queen when I was in the holding cell and she was like, the first one you see hit him in his mouth, no matter what happens, because they're going to have to respect you. And I remember walking in, putting my bags down and hitting this boy in the face with a lunch tray. Like I did that immediately because I was just like, I'm not, I'm, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm being told. Like I got to make these people respect me. And initially it was a lot of fighting and pushing back. There was this black trans woman named Titi and I was in a holding cell. They had me in, they had me in segregation and they sent her down and she sat down next to me the way a mother does. And she was like, listen, little girl, these people are not going to let you keep coming up in here fighting and shaking everything up. Uh, you need to figure out what you're going to do. And I was like, I, 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 I was shaken by the female pronouns, mm. but I was, but I was surprisingly comfortable with how they landed. It was the shot. You know what I'm saying? It's uh-huh. y'all seen that meme when the girl drinks something, she's like, mm, do I like it? And she's like, mm, no, I don't like it. And she's like, mm. it was, it was that. Right. Um, and I was like, I don't I don't know. But but TT, the blessing that she was in my life is that I felt safe with listening to how she saw me. Right. The interesting thing about prison is that a prison mirror, honey, is as shiny as this box, this this cardboard box is. Your reflection usually is coming from someone else. You're rarely seeing your face 
in a clear way. And so I had acquiesced to other people seeing me. And sometimes that wasn't the best, but with Miss TT, she, she, she was like, you're, you're a woman. I need you to understand that. And I was like, I don't, I don't see that. And it was the first time somebody had, I, I had heard the term fish. She was like, you are fish all day. And <laughs> mind you, you know, this is prison with one blade razors, honey. Um, you know, the shaving cream is a fool. You know what I'm saying? I had grown my hair out, but we didn't have relaxers in Nebraska. So I, honey, we use the Murray's and pink lusters to straighten her out. I had a nasty swoop bang for the children. You know, <laughs> I, I had a, you know, my khakis was, should have been 34, honey. I had size 30 khakis, you oh, know, we were giving. And finding out what trade was and, and, and all of these things that I did not know about. And so for 10 years in prison, my power was really rooted in my womanhood, not utilizing that language, right? But just, it was a truth, right? Even 18 months in solitary. And in, in that 18 months, I lived on death row for six months, right? Um, and, and, and so it, 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 was, it was the root of my strength. That was just really fast. Was that a space issue? It was a it was a space issue, but the irony was that I was in solitary confinement on what they call um, the Prison Rape Elimination Act was established in 2003, okay. and and most institutions today implement PREA, which is the acronym for the Prison Rape Elimination Act, really to further oppress and marginalize queer and trans folks or folks who are incarcerated who are living with HIV and AIDS, because you don't need to you don't need to break a rule to be put in solitary. You can oh, be put wow. on an administrative status. And so, so many people were excited when Pres uh, President Obama you know, said you can't put people in solitary for a, for a certain amount of time and so on and so forth. First of all, that only applied to juveniles in the system. Second of all, to usurp that process, they came up with this administrative process saying that for your safety, for the institution's safety, we need to lock you in this cell all day. It's not disciplinary, it's not punishment. Um, but, That's but why so many of my sisters have this experience of spending. Like I have a girlfriend that told me her first three months she had to do a she had to do a little bit of time in the feds, and she and in her first three months she said she spent in solitary. And first I was like, I was like, how is that? How how is that even? But I now I understand what you're saying. And though and in their effort to protect. It is actually you're being punished because solitary is a punishment. And you're being hard, like not just punished, the, the lasting effects are something that wow. can't be quantified, right? And so many people are like, oh, well, it was only, you know, they'll be like, oh, it's only for a certain time. Sandra Bland wasn't in jail, not even seven days, right? There's no, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no, um, you don't need to, uh, there's no set of number of days of being in, in incarceration that we know is the day that it hits you in a way, shakes you in a way that 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 may be very hard for any repair to happen, right? Um, and so I came out of prison in 2009 and my father passed away about six months into my prison sentence. I grew up with the Huxtables. My parents met in the ninth grade. They married right out of high school. They were married for 27 years when my father passed away. And uh, came home to my mom and siblings that I hadn't seen in a decade. I had nieces and nephews. They had had babies while I was gone. 
Um, there was no American Idol before I went to prison. Um, you could not text on cell phones. You know, you had to, uh, uh, long distance was after 7 p.m. on Sundays. Um, that like, it was a different world. And I came home also in this very feminine body, showing up in a very feminine way. And much of my purpose and kind of safety had been woven into relationships and men, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I get on the apps, honey, I go to Adam for Adam and I look and I'm like, well, no, 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 no fats, no fems. I'm like, well, yeah. well, girl, well, girl, I got to go on a diet and y'all want me to grow a mustache to get a man? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because there was not a, you know, there was not a large trans population here in Nebraska. Um, and that, that was, that was um, um, very outward and frontward with it. Right. And so I will never forget. It was maybe about 30 days after I got out of prison, I did, um, and walk in my mother's bathroom. I shaved my head. Um, I, I had hair down my back. I, I I grew hair on my face for the first time in 10 years because I used to shave three times a day on the inside. Like you was not going to walk up and rub your hand on my face and catch any stuff. Um, and, and going and buying boy clothes and thinking this is what I got to do. That That world was in there. I need to make it out here. Um, soon after, I went to a volunteer event for Pride here in Nebraska, and there was a person doing the intake form, but they were like an employee. I said, well, like, well, how are you getting paid? Like, what did you do to be able to learn? And she said um, that she had a degree in public health. And I went home, got online. Thank, I thank God for being naive, because if I had known better, I, I would have sat my butt down somewhere. Um, but I went home, got online, signed up for classes with Southern New Hampshire University in a public health program, because I'm like, well, I want to do what she's doing. And I know I need to go to school for something. I'm going to do this. I left prison with a degree in culinary management. Um, and so I was like, I'm a work in kitchens. I would work all day in kitchens. I would cater on the weekends. I had started recording music secretly because the label would let me write, but they wouldn't let me sing. So I would go in at night and record myself. And um, I was like, this, this was my world while also like, I need to find a man, I need to find a man. That was my, that was, that was, <laughs> you know, that was that. Um, and then about three days before Christmas in 2009, my mother passed away. And that was, that was hard one, because my mother was my world and my anchor. And when anyone else in the world had, struggled to see my beauty as a human. My mother always did, even when she was mad at me. So it was, I had a fear that no one would ever see greatness in me again. Um, but I'm the oldest of four and my youngest sister was 12 and my other siblings had two or three kids. And even though I had only been out of prison for less than a year, I was financially positioned better to take Andrea in than they were. So I, um, less than a year out, I adopted my 12 year old sister I'm going to school online. I'm, I'm, I'm busting tables and working in kitchens. I'm singing at night because I feel like there's a reason. Um, I started working at Pride here in Nebraska. I was the vice president, the president. I created Youth Pride in Nebraska, um, but I was fighting to work at a nonprofit and because my criminal history was constantly a barrier. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was, it was difficult. Um, I graduated with my undergrad in May of 2016. And there was this woman named Ann Smolsky, and she had maybe six years later when my lights were being cut off, she worked at this agency and she helped me do the paperwork to get my lights cut on. In 2016, she was hired as the, as the director of reproductive services at Charles Drew Health Center. Mm -hmm. 
And she called me and she said, I hear you have a, a job and I'm sad because I wanted to hire you as my first sex educator on this new project. I said, girl, I don't give a damn about that job. Like, what's the tea? What's going on? And um, I said in my resume, I, I went to one interview. <laughs> I love how you knew that I was calling. You were like, oh, I can talk about this job. <laughs> no, don't do that, this. Like, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Just because I got a meal on my plate don't mean you tell me that it's steak in the back. Because I made Because I, I, I bought for that. Respectfully. <laughs> um, and, and went in for the interview. And I'll never forget, I went in for the interview and, and, and my clothes were too big because I could only go to the Goodwill to get clothes. And then I had I had to go for my server shift and I'm driving. I got a I got a Jeep with no air conditioner in the summer. I'm driving. I'm changing my clothes at lights, trying to get to my server job on time. And the HR department at Charles Drew called me and asked me if I wanted the job less than 30 minutes after the interview. And I said, absolutely. And I started crying. She's like, well, don't you want to know what you're getting paid? I was like, I don't care. I'll take the job. Um, and, and that was the, that was the, that was the moment where I recognized for my labor, for my ingenuity, for my emotional labor, physical labor, I deserve compensation, not to be paid. Paid and compensa compensation hit different. Um, I deserve to be compensated for my lived experience. You want to talk to me about incarceration? That is, a, that is an experience that I'm bringing to the table. I deserve to be compensated for this structural education coming from these white institutions that I had to fight my life to get. And I, and you deserve, I deserve to be paid for 39 years of experience I'm bringing to the table of just living and, and, and being in a position to thrive, right? Mm -hmm. And so thankfully from Charles Drew and, and, and a black, it was a black man, uh, Kenny McMorris that was the executive director that made sure I was paid more than most people in our work and allies showing up, I recognize, oh, when you're the boss, you are sometimes gonna have to show people what they should have, even if they're comfortable taking less than that. Don't be all right with people taking less than because it might save you when, when they're telling me, oh, you're only asking for this, but you need to be making this. Um, and, and two years later, I was the ED of black and pink. The, the other piece that to, 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 to end this out is, I think what, what really was helpful for me is that I tried everything. Mm -hmm. I, I did not let people tell me when I started in advocacy, people were like, well, you're going to stop doing this music thing. Right. When I got my first job, you know, at Charles Drew, well, you're not about to be out here. No, I love, I love my art, my art, my art sustained me when I had nothing else. Like this is important. Right. I didn't allow people to tell me what I could be when I became an ED. Oh, you're not about to be out here doing this and this and this on social media. You're not about to No, I'm, I'm, I'm about to show up as myself. And if y'all want that, great. If y'all don't, that's awesome also, but I know this isn't for me. And so try everything, try it all. Don't let anybody tell you what you can't try. Um, and when you find out it's not for you, have no shame in putting it down and stepping to the side and have no shame in circling back or, or, or recognizing, yo, maybe the thing that I thought was my thing in the first place is my thing, but at least you know now. The worst thing ever is, 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 is those questions of, dang, I wish I would have. Dang, I, oh, ooh, um, because it never allows you to really be grateful and excited for where you are because you'll always enjoy where you are, where you are, but you'll have a nagging tugging of where you think you could have been if you would have chosen something else. Mm -hmm. So I tried everything and held on to the things that bring me the most joy, the most happiness that at this point paid me the most coin. This nonprofit conversation you said, sis, of 
I'm not going, there is no way that people in, in nonprofit spaces, black folks, black trans folks, that we should be making a wage that positions us to be on the same programs that our clients are on. There is, there, there is there is something insidious, disgusting and harmful about that. And I work hard to tell funders, stop paying me to maintain an issue, pay me to eradicate the issue. Do not think that I am going to um, not fight for what my vision of liberation is and my personal version of liberation is a space where I'm financially not only stable, but I'm financially flourishing. And this idea that if you work in nonprofit, like you have to kind of take this vow of poverty. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a nun. When I bought my Mercedes at, for Christmas, I got this email. There are black trans women that can't eat and you're buying this car. I know there's black trans women who can't eat because I'm busting my butt to feed them. I was also a black trans woman who couldn't eat. And I'll be damned if I'm not working 80 hours a week to not enjoy the fruits of my labor, right? How dare you dictate what, what, what gives that to me? So, so coming through where I came through gave me that idea, but that's something that I wanted to uplift. In nonprofit, we, we try to tell people what, what a salary, what their lifestyle should look like that we think then affirms that they really care about the work. I can wear a $700 wig and pull up in a Mercedes and still get down there and I'm down there on the stroll with my sisters and I'm out there handing out condom packets at 4 a.m. with my staff, right? You don't get to like, I, I can be authentic. My authenticity can evolve and grow. And, and, and my authenticity may make you uncomfortable but we need to do a better job of deciding what does it mean when we're unsafe and what does it mean when we're uncomfortable? You know, I think it is a very much, I think very much in community in general, we have to, like you said, unlearn the notion that to be an advocate means to be in struggle. It means, like you say, to take a vow of poverty. It means to have to live below being able to feed yourself. And part of what that does, part of how that is, is white supremacy actually telling us we got this money for you, but not for you to manage. Mm -hmm. And we want you to stay at a certain level because at a certain point, there's big business in keeping y'all as this target population that we're pathologizing and advocating for. Mm -hmm. And I have found that it is very, very difficult sometimes to get well-intending allies to move the hell out of the way so that we can stand in our leadership. And I love that when you were talking about your um, ascent to leadership, that it included you preparing others behind you. Can you talk a little bit about your, your um, what you enjoy about mentoring, and tell me about some of the what, some of the success stories you've had with mentoring other girls to step into their leadership? The thing that I love about, and I don't even think it's I think just being in the community because you. I'll give an example of like myself and Jasmine Tasaki. I met Jasmine. I, I met. I, I live for Jasmine. I met Jasmine um, at SOS in twenty nineteen. I met her at SOS, and and I had started talking to my therapist about my trans, like pub, like medical and social transition. Um, but I hadn't told anyone else, and I'll never forget seeing her walk through chow in this white dress. And you know how Jasmine just is elegant. First as, of all, the body. Body. But just, <laughs> but just regal, 
And um, I remember she walked through and I was like, wow, she's incredible. And we started talking and there were spaces around being an ED about some of those things where I was able to offer her great information. And there were spaces about just the experience of being a black trans woman and holding space where she was able to just impart things on me. And I, I've really appreciated those sort of relationships. And I've recognized that no matter the age, I get that. When I was teaching in the classroom, young people, you know, I'm definitely trying to bring them something, to, some, some fat to put on their head, but these kids will put you on the game. These kids will tell you something, you'll be like, oh dang, I didn't even think of it that way. Um, but what I love most is that I reached a point where I recognized that nothing that I had experienced was, was to be thrown away or was for naught. And, and for a long time after I was incarcerated, I would return, I would refer to my incarceration as the years I lost. I would, I would, I would, I would really make it seem like it was just kind of this dark world that just didn't exist anymore. And how do I look at who I am and, and block out, not investigate, not talk about 15, 20 years of my life, right? And with these relationships, I'm able to see the power in everything I've experienced. So nothing, you know, the girls who compost, the recycling girls, that's not my ministry, but I know some girls live for it. And that's what it feels like is that nothing is trash. Nothing that I've lived is trash. It may have been hard. It may, have, it may not have been um, the, the, the thing that I would have chosen, but it, was, but it was mine. And so through these relationships, we get to talk and, and pour into each other. I think my favorite moments have been one, anytime I can get a black person a check, it just brings me utter joy um, because I am not oblivious that I'm a part of the nonprofit industrial complex, no matter how radical black and pink is perceived. When in 2016, when black and pink became an, a, a 501c3, we became a part of an oppressive system. And so one of my favorite things is to take these white people money and give it to black people. That's one of my, and without question, without, I'm not, I'm not clock, I'm not following you, I'm not doing this. Give these people, right, cut them the check. Um, those are my favorite moments when I'm able to create salaries. The minimum wage at Black and Pink is $20 an hour mm. for anyone. That's dope. Part-time employees at Black and Pink have unlimited PTO. Part-time employees at Black and Pink have, have a professional development stipend, right? It allows me to be innovative and say, well, what do I have to do and what can I do? It's black men hiring. <laughs> um, actually, I think there's two positions open right now. Oh, wow. Um, that I think they use, I think my staff uses Ideal um, is what they're using. I think there's a, a program manager position um, that can be anywhere. I think we're, they're saying that they want to look for the South or the West Coast. Um, so, so that's just important. And affirming like beautiful things you see in people. And I think that Using the word mentor, I think we mentor each other every day, even people you don't know. I think a mentor moment is when you see somebody walking down the street in a sickening dress and you're like, yes, ma'am. That moment of someone saying that it pours over you, it feeds into you. They don't know you from a can of paint. They could be driving in the car, right? Or, or, or you just look at someone and someone calls you beautiful. So there's very intimate moments that are wonderful, incredible. But as I've been able to evolve to evolve as I'm on the journey of evolving to whatever is the best version of Dominique. I'm really falling in love with those moments of just casual interaction 
where I can see a person, they can see me, and we can have those wonderful exchanges, right? And 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 so I think over the last year, social, you know, we in this COVID world, what I loved about social media is that I was able to really build beautiful interactions with Black trans women that I had never met, never been in the same space with, but just really enjoy being invested in their life, really enjoy watching their journey, really really enjoy amplifying their existence and then benefiting from them doing the same thing to me. And so um, I, I think mentorship is important. Showing up for each other is important because none of us, we aren't living our lives just for us. And, and, and that's hard to swallow because we're, we've all, we're always told we, you know, live for you. You don't, at the end of the day, you gotta, you know, you know, you go on, the, you, you're the only one in your shoes, yes. But I think life is a bunch of theories of changes and processes that we're all going through. And we're all telling each other, girl, I tried this. This ain't really the tea. Oh, you did this. Okay, this is the thing, right? Um, and the more we're connected, the more we can share that. And so I've, I've just, I just try not to live my life. I live for me as in my, I, I center my joy. But I don't live my life with the belief that I'm achieving, I'm accomplishing, I'm breaking barriers just for Dominique. Um, and not from a saviorism, girl, I'm, you know, I've seen people tell people I've paved the way for you. I don't know what your way is going to be. I've paved the way and you may walk on my concrete for a while and you may go over here on the dirt because that's what's best for you. But I am cognizant that I'm not just living a life for myself. I'm living, I'm living a life that Marsha P. Johnson couldn't continue to live. I'm right. We're, 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 we're carrying on spirits and purposes outside of just our own. Mm-hmm. So, I, transitioning to your art and your artistry, you released a album last year, Pisces and E Flat, yes. and I was very fortunate to see your performance for the um, Transgender District and House of Tulip Joint Winter Gala, mm-hmm. um, where you um, perform your song. Um, um, I, the, the title is escaping me, but I remember you yes. the, um, with the with the with the long dress and the hair, and you were just—it just makes me feel so good to see trans black trans folks just singing and just being in there. And you look so comfortable um, on the stage. Can you tell us a little bit about that project and about like how that came about? Like what creative space you were in when you created that body of work? I. I identify as a songwriter that sings. And I do that, that's important to me because there are singers. There are people, there's a Fantasia that probably will never write a lyric. Um, right, it's not a songwriter by trade, but can get up and sing the sing the the the, the phone book, and and will lay you out. Right, um, there are just people that that is their talent. Um, I had a voice, but I started. I wrote my first song when I was seven. And when I was in solitary, I wrote about 300 songs. And so songwriting really just sustained me. And um, I spent years, you know, making music. And I had been working on, after my divorce, I put out an EP called Music for the Brokenhearted. And because I just had to shed some stuff, like I was in therapy. And the only thing that felt good was going in the studio and just putting this music out of my body. And I started working on some new songs, but travel was happening and it was ridiculous in 2019 for me. And then the pandemic hit and I'm like, I have about six songs done. I'm gonna just go into the studio every day. 
I, I'm going to do my black and pink stuff during the day and I'm going to have a hard cut off for 4 p.m. because we're on Zoom. So nobody should be expecting to talk to me at night anyway. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that world is over. Like I'm not doing that. I could, I could really make a hard stop and also demonstrate to my team. I don't y'all, y'all should not be working like we were working before. Like that was important. Um, and I just went in the studio and I just started writing. And. So the the uh, the pan like the pandemic started in the top of January, right on the coast. Um, March nineteenth, I um, like March tenth, city started closing. March nineteenth, I turned thirty eight, and March twenty fourth, I went into the trans clinic and started on hormones. And so like I'm in the pandemic, locked in the house, emotions going through, and just start writing. And I wanted to write about everything i wanted to write about the album is called pisces and e flat major because a lot of my music before this last album was he did me wrong he wasn't no good you know very very that i'm not perfect and 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 a and a, and a beautiful thing that abolition brought me was like the power of accountability and looking at who you are not to judge yourself but just to have a lay of the land because if you know that you do this messy thing when this happens you can be aware to prevent doing that if that's what you choose to do, right? You can't act oblivious to it. I'm like, I'm too old to be oblivious to how Dominique shows up at this age. That's for me, that's my belief. And I wanted to write about that. I wanted to write about, you know, I've cheated on people. I, I've, 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 I've wanted to get my lick back. Um, you know, I've, I, wanted, I wanted to just be expansive in that and started writing. And then it, like, it was like 22 songs and they were like, the label was like, you're going to put out 22 songs. I'm like, listen, first of all, people need, we're at a time where people are actually listening to R&B music. You saw last year, you know, I was talking to a friend about Jasmine Sullivan's EP that is incredible. They act like reality show wasn't one of the most sickening albums ever. Um, and, and I think it was a perfect storm of Jasmine is an incredible artist and folks had to sit still. And whoever had a project in the pipeline just happened to get things out. And so there was a clean space for people to finally listen to the wonderment of this beautiful, incredible artist. And I'm like, I want to put music out there. And also to go with to what Brianna, Brianna said, I was afraid that I've, I've always been like a baritone. Like I'm, I'm not one of them church tenors. I'm like, I'm not going to give I you- I love your tone. I love your tone. I was telling my friends, I think that's the most powerful thing also, that you're not trying to sing in some falsetto that isn't natural to your natural voice. I think you think that is beautiful because I feel yeah. like so much of our experience is being dysphoric about our voices. No tea, no shade. I'm not going to front. I think if I could have done it, I would have. I, that's just not a skill set I have. <laughs> it isn't. And so the Lord was like, if you want to sing, you're going to have to sing who you are as yourself. And it was a moment, the first time I went into the booth to record Presenting Female, it was for the song I Am, which was one of the last songs that came on the album. And it talks about, you know, I am my dreams. I, you know, I am the, 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 the product of my parents, you know, silent prayers. And um, when the trans gala opportunity came, I'm like, this is perfect. I will be able to figure out if I can still do what I love to do while also being a person that I've loved more than any version of myself that I've loved before. And um, I'm lucky that we were able to pre-record our sections, but 
the doll, honey, we did, we did run-throughs and we just pushed through. Um, Jameson Bennett is my hairstylist, my makeup artist. And, you know, Jameson laid that hair, honey, and beat that face. And my dress that I had ordered didn't come. So that was a next day delivery on Fashion Nova that I was wearing. Um, it was, a, you know, a $39 dress. And well, sometimes I had to get you through with a pinch, girl. And like people were like, oh, I love it. I'm like, girl, no, like it, <laughs> it just was the truth. Because Aria and those who know Aria Saeed from the trans district, casual is not in her vocabulary. You know what I'm saying? You know, Mariah, gorgeous, glowing all the time. I'm like, They've asked me to do this. This is one of the most incredible privileges I've ever had to do this, right? I had, I won Young American of the Year last year. And that moment was bigger than that because my people wanted me to share my art with them. And that, that is something that you, you just you just cannot be replicated. It can't be dismissed. And so performing with the band, um, singing Soulmate, singing Stand Up, singing these songs that I had written from my heart to people and that they saw me with this voice was was a game changer. It it um, oftentimes as oppressed people, the universe and, and, and systems tell us for us to get something new sh that's shiny, we have to give up something. We don't get to keep the greatness before and then add to the greatness. And I honestly thought that I was gonna have to give up something to be, to have this. And that was a moment where I realized I didn't. Um, I was privileged to be, I was in New Orleans with Mariah and with Milan and the girls at, I was at the House of Tulip House watching this, this, the event and watching the other black trans women watch me, not even knowing that I was in the room them talking about the song, them seeing me, it, it just felt like, it felt like I was home. That's what it, that's what it felt like. It felt like I was home, a home that I had been searching for, for, you know, 30 some years at that point. And so um, that's, that's the power of that album and those moments. And, and that's why I was like, well, honey, I'm still writing songs. So we're doing this summer EP. Um, we're, we're going in and shooting more, we're shooting the music videos. I have a huge project that's coming out June 1st that I cannot say, but June 1st, things are about to shift. Um, and there are a lot of queer and trans and GNC young black folks art and that, that have art as the reason why they get out of bed. And, and I wanted to show that your art is your art, your gift is your gift. It is your weapon against everything. Um, and, 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 and it doesn't matter what body is carrying that weapon and gift, it still exists, it's still, it's still so powerful. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that also is what I, I love about being able to do music in this body is that we have, you know, in our history, you look at, you know, there's Shea Diamond. We know that there have been black trans women who have been artists. But in a way where you can go and, and, and tap into their discography, in a way that you can go look at their visuals, in a way that you can engage in their career, that is that is rare, right? And so I'm 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 really privileged and excited to live in a time where I can I can be me and also do 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 music and um keep doing it. Um I'm I've told them I ain't doing none of these new as soon as I transitioned, the label wanted me naked. Uh, they were like, oh, we need to do the shower thing. I said, 
Everybody actually got a problem with it, but they all want to see. Oh, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm I'm not against it. I said, girl, I'm a, I'll give you the unbreak my heart Tony Braxton moment. Yes. The nasty, wet, and wavy. I'm like, but girl, um, <laughs> I, I, I've committed to staying on my estrogen for a year to two years before I have my breast augmentation. I'm like, I want to give them titty, titty, titties uh, um, when I get the break of the moment. <laughs> Yes, yeah. God. Uh-huh. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like that's that's the beauty. And the and my people mobilized about me. My label supported me. Um, my um what I love about Pisces and E flat major is that I had I wanted to work with a lot of people, so I was able to pay everyone, mm-hmm. every background singer, black and brown folks, I was able to pay them. The 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 cover art, I was able to pay them. And again, do what you gotta do until 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 you're not, but I was proud that there are people that I, w- I had worked with for years on, on the strength and I was able to compensate them for coming in and doing oohs and ahs if that's all they did, but it still had, it had an impact. Um, and so there's a lot of cisgender straight black men who were featured on some of those songs before my transition. And I was waiting for them to say, yo, I, um, one major moment was, it's a song called Been Through and Jay Crum is on it. He's a black Christian rapper. And I remember we did a show in October and I was like, are you going to do this song with me? And he was like, if we don't do the song, I'm going to be mad. And so, so it was just so affirming and my people kept loving me. And now we're back in the studio and the summer playlist EP will come out um, in July. And so I'm excited. Exciting. So let me tell you, I don't think I've been more delighted to be pleasantly surprised for how a story, a narrative can be told. Now, you know, I fancy myself a talker, bitch. Listen. You, madam, also have an anointing for storytelling and for um, for, for telling a narrative. Thank you so much for your giving us your gift today. Um, I want to say I love in your narrative this, like, desire to connect to people and things, but I love that it's still... It seems like music is like a pulse in you, like it's something that's in you. And I heard that you wrote 300 songs. I guess my question is, so that means were you singing these songs? What was it like to be the Cage Songbird? I, I mean, like, cause what is creative? Cause I want to speak to that creative now that may be in a, an incarcerated situation or maybe in some type of confinement and they don't know, they, they don't know if it's okay to access that. So can you tell talk a little bit about that, your journey to being a creative incarcerated? Yeah. Um, many times me being naive and unaware has helped me. Because if I, if I would have known, I would have done the things I did right. So I also tell folks, don't be so eager, eager to learn everything. Because some stuff you, you just you don't need to know. Because if you know too much, you may not try stuff. And so I when I went into solitary, I was watching these men come down there and then like a week later, like their eyes would be like empty or, 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 or these guys one day we would, we would be able to have conversations across through our doors and they would medicate the person and, and there would be no semblance of that person. You know, they're kicking the doors at night. They're, they're hurting themselves. And, and it's, it's, it's this cacophony of pain around you. And I did not know when they were going to let me out. And I was so, and I had, I had been incarcerated, but I had never really been alone that much, like by myself, no one touching me, nothing, nothing near me in my life. And uh, I first started just writing. um, I was a show choir kid um, in high school. And so I first started just writing. 
I was like, if I can make sure I'm using my memory, I won't go crazy. Because the the 22-year-old Dominique was like, oh, these people are losing their minds. I'm not aware of, of, of systemic pressures and all these things. Like, that's just what I'm thinking. I'm like, well, if I, if I utilize my brain, it won't slip away from me. So I just started writing songs that I remembered um, and, and, and doing that. And then there was a day that I heard a melody and I, I was afraid because I was like, oh, this is it. Because people shouldn't hear music when music isn't playing. Mm-hmm. And... I, I, I wrote it down and it, it was a song called I Will Love Again. And um, it's, I will love again. I will breathe again. I will know how it feels to be whole. Cause in my heart, I know it is better to love than to never have loved at all and I just kept hearing it and wrote it and that's all I had and then I just it was like a damn broke and I just started writing anything that came to me and I did not recognize I was writing whole songs I thought I was just like I I would remember it I would know the melody and and it started and I didn't have paper um and there's something called an inmate interview request um so they're yellow and I didn't have money for paper. And so I would ask for inmate interview requests and I would write my songs on the back of those um, because I didn't have any money. Um, and I would hide them because the COs would come in and throw them away because it was contraband. And in response to the singing part, one of my largest struggles when I started performing was I, was, I did not project. And it was because inside I had trained myself to sing, but to sing very small. Softly. Very, 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 like, cause one, either I didn't, it, it reached a point where I didn't, they weren't gonna make fun of me. Like guys knew that I sang, but I didn't want, you know, Dominique sings something, you know, you know, black folks, you hear somebody. Speak, <laughs> right? Then you become the puppet. I, right? I sing and I understand. <laughs> that, that, um, just being kind of just, this is mine. I don't want to, I don't want to share it. I don't want to, I don't want to do any of that. And, and, and also just being afraid of being ridiculed. So I had trained my voice to be very, very small. Um, and, and I, so I sang all day, every day, but you would never hear it. Um, and so when I came, so when I came home from prison, it was, um, I was, I was going to these open mics and people were like, you know, I, I, eyes closed, um, standing still, uh, body sweating. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, mind you, in these boys clothes that don't fit because I don't have any connection to like this. Like, I'm just, I'm really, I'm really in male drag. That's, that's that like looking back, like, right. You know, I look at those pictures and I'm like, I was so disconnected. You can see that you didn't care. When I look back at all of my previous pictures, you can see that emotional disconnection from that person. It's like, you just put on anything. (laughs) Just put on anything. And, and when you think about the voice and the power of the mind and how everything else is connected to your voice, you know, I, I I realized, you know, I've never sang my best until now because I haven't been centered in myself until now. But that's where it started. It was just, again, it was, they had a music room in the prison. Once I was, once I was released from solitary, you could spend $3 a month and I made $21 a month at first, um, getting into the music room. And that's where they had microphones and headphones and I would go in there. And that's when I would sing to myself in the microphone and hear, put a little echo on my voice and, you know, 
a little reverb, try to give the girls a little, a little, a little razzle dazzle. Uh -huh. And and literally when I left prison, I left with a deodorant because that deodorant was five dollars child. I left <laughs> and it's coming with me. And, it is. and I'm gonna use it till it's gone. <laughs> yes, because the trauma in me is like, well, girl, if I get caught up or if I don't make it, I can't be musty. So <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Literally, I promise you I'm <laughs> Um, I, I already I had my phone book of the names and people I had met over the 10 years. And then I had my bag of songs. Um, when I when I got on the bus from the prison coming back home, those are the three things I had. And I still have my songs and um, we're doing the summer EP list. But um, last last year, last summer, I went to Chicago and recorded six of the songs that I wrote in prison with an orchestra. And so when my book comes out in 2022, there will be an EP. Come on, orchestra. Hold on, don't pass that. What was that like? Well, the reason I did it was because I had, I was an artist fellow in 2018 at this place. And um, you had to come up with the end of, of the fellowship performance. And at that time, I had never, I hadn't sang any of the songs I read in prison. And so you had this budget. And so what we did we rebuilt a solitary confinement cell in the museum and I I got on the prison oranges and I sang the songs inside of the prison cell and the audience either could only you know they built three walls the audience could only see see from one side that was open or the way that CO saw me the little hole in the door and it was explicit that I wasn't performing for them I wanted them to have it for them to feel like what it was for me to perform and sing for myself. And there was an, the next day we did a piece with the orchestra where they learned three of my songs really quickly and we stayed connected. And, and I reached out to them and I'm like, hey, I don't really wanna, I don't really wanna um, go into the studio and kind of use traditional production with these songs. You all understood me really well. What do you think? And so I went to Chicago we, we, we did a performance and then we recorded, we, we, we spent time recording for two days. And so um, we're gonna get back to that later this year. Um, and I think what's powerful for me, and then we, we did a cover of Home from the Wiz with the orchestra. And what's important for me is that, going back to what I said, I don't wanna feel like anything that I've had or I've done doesn't have- Wait a minute, hold on, can we pause for a second? I like how you can just blow past that. If I didn't stop for a second and go, what you mean orchestra? You would have blown past such an amazing thing. I want to take a moment. That is so powerful to hear what you were saying about being able to really, really give people that visual of what it's like to be in a cell and to that, that experience of just solitude. And you just in your own mind thinking of things and singing melodies. I think that is so powerful. I went, I had the privilege um, before COVID, um, this was 2019, my mother-in-law turned 75 and I had the privilege of going to the, um, it was the, I, I, I think it was called the Slave Museum. I'm not sure, but it was in Alabama. I mean, mm -hmm. Yes. And there is an exhibit where, and it's a hologram and it's uh and it shows they have an and it alternates between a, an elderly woman, a young child, and a middle-aged woman singing an opera, and they're singing and they're singing and you and they wanted to captivate that same feeling of this this feeling of like like even in the midst of all of this, 
this beauty and this strength and this creativity and this this desire that will to live just you could hear through the voices and so I just imagine I wish that I could have come to your exhibit because I was so touched by that so when you told me that just a moment ago it really resonated with me because I, I, I I'll share them. the videos I'll share the videos with y'all yeah. um, because for me also there's this moment where many of my to date many of my largest achievements happened before my transition and depending on the context, I'm really comfortable with it because I, I see I see her sparking. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's my truth. Um, and that was just a moment where I did something I never thought I would do. I put on the prison oranges. I, 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 I wrapped my hair in my pillowcase like I did. Like, I, I, I showed up. I put myself back in that body to do that performance. And, and so I'm, I'm, that's important to me. I think also like recognizing that music has always been a part of the abolition experience. Like, right, our people have found our, our way to safety to each other through song. And, and, and so that's really important for me. Um, my publishing company, there's a, there's a space where I can have my music published to where it will maintain itself uh, after my death. And it was something that was important because we need to make sure that we are dictating when people recognize that any of us were here, that we dictated what our hereness was, that there's not other people telling our story, right? There's not other people who are giving people our narrative or who we were. Through my music, I really am blessed to be able to say like my nieces and nephews 20 years from now, I can go back and listen. Your auntie was a thought. Your auntie was throwing it back. So, you know what I'm saying? Like it just, just to see and know a person, right? The same way we can go and listen to Whitney's music and you, you can feel Whitney the same way you can, you can, you can go and listen to Natalie Cole. You can feel them through music, through voice. We get to leave that with people. And that's something that, that I'm really excited about. And for incarcerated people, many of them art is what gets them, keeps them going. And so I want to show people that, as you said, sis, make it make it. You may not know where it's going to land today, but the honest truth is there are people out here in these streets who are making art that have no idea of what's about to happen with it. Um, don't let your the place of your body prevent you from doing something that you were gifted to do because you don't know what's going to sprout from that. Um, and you don't know what gift you're going to receive and, 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 and by happenstance what a gift someone else might receive. Wow. Thank you. I, um, wow, this, this conversation was amazing. I knew it was going to be amazing. Dominique, I want to thank you so much for gracing us with your presence on the show. Um, I, I, I'm just in, like, I'm not even interviewing. I'm just sitting here just like listening and soaking everything in. Before we go, Tell the audience um, how they can get tapped into Black and Pink, how they can support, and also um, where they can buy your latest album. Yes. So you can go to blackandpink.org online. Um, our handles on social media, like Black and Pink National, usually on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Go there, one, not only to be engaged, but so many people, especially Black folks, Black queer folks, they're trying to um, suss out this abolition experience. And one of the things that I really push my comms department to do is put a lot of edu information out there. 
not to indoctrinate people, but let's lay all the tools out and then people can dig in and people can come to their own conclusions, which I think is, you know, Louis Fonseca from uh, Advocates for Youth is, is one of my good duties. And Louis said one day, if you convince someone, you've only convinced them. And that means that somebody else can come behind you and convince them too. If people have if, if people have come to something in their own way, it, the lasting is there. So go to Black and Pink, our Opportunity Campus Initiative, where we are building the first school, the first housing space for queer and trans youth um, in the country um, with 10 apartments. And we, we, we purchased three buildings in this huge piece of land. Um, I signed the purchase. It's, it's, it's really exciting to plug into Opportunity Campus. Um, you can follow me, the Dominique Morgan, on most platforms, and the Pisces and E flat major album is on all things um uh, itunes spotify if you're like dominique i do not pay for subscriptions i i even had them put it on youtube um because i was a girl who could not you know there was a time when ten dollars a month was not in my budget um and every platform in between we're going to be having vinyl copies soon uh, my website will relaunch on june 1st um and then look for the the summer ep coming out in the next couple of months and then the christmas album dom's favorite things in november wonderful now you matt have a voice for vinyl and i can't wait to hear that so i will be on that merch website looking to see when it's gonna come out you. what were you about to say brianna Oh, I just wanted to thank Dominique again. Like this, like this is a treat. This was so invaluable. Then I was going to turn it over to you to take us out of here. Well, I was also going to say, um, Dominique, this has been an amazing conversation and it has been a delight and an honor to be in your presence, Queen. And your journey is going to light so many fires under people. Just this sharing today was such a gift. And I hope that your anointing continues to make room for you. And I pray that everything you touch prosper. And we thank you for having us. Thank you for having us in your presence. All right, y'all. This has been another episode of Box Number 512 Podcast, Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. I am one of your co-hosts, the Lioness. And I am Aeon. See you all next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Box Number 512 Podcast, Grown Black Trans Woman Talk. And don't forget to become a patron on the Box Number 512 Patreon page, where we have all new exclusive content and also don't forget to follow us on our social media on our instagram twitter and facebook pages and also become a subscriber on our youtube page until next time bye, bye.